I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Podcasts are a way to scale mentorship. Through thoughtful conversations, a podcast listener can learn helpful things. Colleen O'Brien, executive communications manager at Microsoft, and Sonia Dara, product marketing manager at Microsoft, talked about how they're scaling mentorship through the Women in Business and Technology podcast. Colleen and Sonia gave an overview of the highlights of running the podcast and various topics that have been explored. They explain how the podcast provides actionable advice that individuals and organizations can take to build inclusive environments. This show is brought to you by Pseudoshirt, an online store featuring apparel designed by developers for developers. Pseudoshirt features subtle designs to show your love for technology. Check it out by going to pseudoshirt.com. That's S-U-D-O shirt.com. Thank you. Colleen O'Brien, Executive Communications Manager at Microsoft, and Sonia Dara, Product Marketing Manager at Microsoft, both who are also hosts of the Women in Business and Technology podcast, are joining us today. Colleen and Sonia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. We're thrilled to be here. Thank you. I'm happy to have you, too. It's nice to be on this side of the conversation. You met in college and later reconnected at Microsoft. Both of you joined Microsoft as part of the Microsoft Academy of College Hires. Can you explain what this program consists of? Sure, I can take that one. So the Microsoft Academy of College Hires, or MOC, was actually recently rebranded. It's now called the Microsoft Aspire Experience. And the program still looks a lot like it did, oh my gosh, seven years now uh, ago when I joined it. It's for undergraduates and MBA grads who are joining the company not just from con computer science fields. They're looking to attract talent from across a range of fields. And it's a two-year program. Those graduates can join in evangelism, in IT, operations, marketing, sales, and services. And what I remember most from my experience is that we had really great access to mentors on our team, to some training, uh, you know, like were recently graduated, we needed some instruction on how to be efficient in a corporate setting. And the biggest thing for me was the other people in my mock cohort were like my family. I had just moved across the country to Seattle to start this job and didn't really know anyone. And it was nice to have this built-in support system of people who are my age, who are going through a lot of the same first job struggles or challenges. And it was great to be able to, to, you know, to connect with them over happy hour or like over IM to try to work through some of those work things. Exactly. And I'll link in the show notes to this program for those people that are interested in applying. In addition to having full-time jobs at Microsoft, both of you host the Women in Business and Technology podcast. I really like this podcast because each episode is divided into different segments and you get to hear from the community, 
prominent women in technology and male allies. Can you explain in more detail what the objective of the podcast is? Yeah, absolutely. I can take this one. So the podcast, we started it in July 2017, so it's been about a year and a half. Originally, when we started the podcast, it was out of the intention of driving more awareness of the women in tech track that was at Microsoft Tier 1 events. So we have these big series of uh, Microsoft events that we would host to customers, partners, and they had created a track specifically focused at bringing women together, kind of a networking experience, specific topics they would cover. But there wasn't a lot of awareness out of it outside of these one-off dates of these events. So they had the idea of creating a podcast as kind of a demand gen tactic. And Colleen and I kind of got tapped to help spearhead it as hosts. So that's where it kind of started. And a lot of this was also our desire to really reach out to some of these rock stars and all stars that we've kind of seen in our, our work lives and outside and to interview them. So that's kind of how it started to grow and we created the, these segments to kind of reflect it. So we always start with kind of what's going on in our lives, a little overview um, with either Colleen's like coaching um, that she's going through and learning to become a life coach or I'm trying to run. Um, so we'll cover stuff like that. Then we always get into a community connect segment. So trying to just raise awareness of different communities that either people in Seattle or uh, worldwide can get involved with if it's a digital um, or in-person kind of community to connect with. And then there's always the interview. We always try to include just really amazing people and how their stories of how they got there, what were their learnings, and basically scaling this mentorship that we've spoken about that we realize we've been pretty privileged at being at Microsoft to have access to. And so just really using this as the platform to scale that. And then we always end our segments with a kind of latest in the news and just kind of discussion points. But um, that point about scaling mentorship is kind of where now the podcast has transitioned and morphed into where we realized that this can be a resource for people who are considering moving into tech or people moving into maybe specifically Microsoft and just having this opportunity to really share all these great things that we have had access to. So a little less on the event side now, a little bit more on just sharing great stories and just really building up communities and networks and just kind of sharing that out to the broader community. Yeah, to echo some of those points, you know, we had a really tactical objective when we first started. We wanted more women to come to these great big conferences so they could have the tools and the network that they needed to be great in their jobs. And as we got more feedback on the show and heard from some of our listeners, we really ratcheted up what that objective could look like. And in examining this amazing position and access that we have as employees at Microsoft, we saw this opportunity to, as Sonia said, to scale access to the resources, to the role models that we were having mentor meetings with, to the communities that we think will help women in fueling their ambition to build big careers. I see. And I want to talk a little bit more about this idea of scaling mentorship. But first, I wanted to hear from your experience doing these community segments and attending these events that can be valuable to people's careers. Can you give some examples of the events that you got to attend? 
Sure. Let's think of some of them. So like most recently, I think in our most recent episode, we had interviewed two leaders of the the local Alpha organization. Alpha stands for the Association for Latino Professionals for America. And Sonia actually went to their gala this weekend. Annual gala, which was really nice of them to extend an invitation. But yeah, it was like their celebration of, uh, of their year, which was really nice. I'd say another community we got really involved with was the WIT regatta women in tech regatta which they do it they do an event in vancouver amsterdam and seattle and it's really like an amalgamation of multiple smaller organizations some larger some smaller that are all having that focus on specifically women in tech but also there's a little cross-function across diversity in tech so that one was a really great event that we got to go interview some amazing people and that's actually where we first met alpha yeah (laughs) actually um, TechBridge Girls, I remember we went to an event there up at Optimism Brewing, Beers for Engineers, or Beers and Engineers, hosted by this nonprofit organization that's looking to extend more computer science access to young women. And yeah, you know, we, we're we just sort of paying attention to events that are going on in the greater Seattle community and attending with our little makeshift recorder and finding the leaders of these organizations on site and figuring out what their goals are, how we can support with the platform that we have access to, and how we can connect people who are otherwise, you know, on the same mission but doing it alone. We're trying to make those connections and make sure that people have the support that they need in, in the communities that they need. Exactly. And the community seg- segment is one way to highlight what's going on in the tech industry and in the tech community. I want to talk now about the interview segment. What are examples of topics that you've explored in, in these segments? Oh, man, what haven't we? <laughs> We've taken liberty of covering many topics, whatever interests us. But it's yeah. definitely evolved over time. I think that we always really try in earnest to first start our interview conversations with a look at the work that our interview guests have done. You know, whether it is creating a laser printer that Dan Shapiro uh, had built or looking at the note-taking software. Who are you talking about? Laura. Oh, Laura, yeah. That Laura Butler is working on. Or talking to Kathleen Hogan about her culture and people initiatives at Microsoft. Like, we always try to start with the work. But we were also challenging a lot of our guests because they're in positions of leadership to really consider how they're bringing these concepts of diversity and inclusion to life on their teams. And there have been a couple of themes in our interviews as well. Like we've spoken to many people who have several patents, for example, and we know that women are not going to achieve patenting parity until 2098. So every time we have an inventor here on the show, I ask them, how can we move the needle on that number more quickly? Yeah, and we'll talk. We also make sure we don't just interview Microsoft guests. Uh, We try to have a variety of external guests and just trying to provide variety and learning from them and kind of this cross-pollination. But also, like, there's some amazing people out there that we're also trying to scale their mentorship um, out to our Microsoft community and beyond. I would say we also talk about higher education a lot. Um, Some people, the question of, do I leave the tech world to go get an MBA and come back? That's a topic we always talk 
touch upon usually if someone chose to go to an MBA or not, um, the reasonings. Obviously, the big one, diversity and inclusion, initiatives that people can do from grassroots efforts to maybe more of like a, a broader thing like Kathleen Hogan talked about from a top-down initiative perspective. So we cover a lot, <laughs> which has been which has been fun. Yeah. Another core theme that I think about is upbringing. You know, Sonia and I both came from non-technical backgrounds, and it's been part of our mission to make sure that regardless of what students are studying, that they know that the technology industry is accessible to them. So we always do a little bit of work to uncover, like, where did our interview guests start? And not all of them had computers growing up. Not all of them were building robots. But a really common thread that we've noticed is how curious they were as children and whether it was spending time at the library or tinkering in the garage, they were always figuring out ways to express that curiosity. Exactly. And I can definitely see what you were referring to earlier about scaling mentorship, because in a sense, this is what you're mentioning, get a sense of where people started actionable advice of how can you get there or how can you build an organization that's more inclusive by getting insights from top leaders and things like that, right? Right. And, you know, for some of our more technical guests, a really critical piece of guidance that they've offered is that, like, it has never, it's easier than ever now to do the type of learning that they were doing as kids. Like, there's so much learning that can be done online. Um, There's so much learning that can be conducted through podcasts. So that mentorship, that Coaching, that teaching, that learning is so accessible now. It might start at code.org. It might start by listening to the Women in Tech show. You never know. Exactly. And like I mentioned earlier, your podcast is called Women in Business and Technology. One thing that stood out when I first became familiar with this podcast was that you invite male allies to the show. Can you talk about this? Yes, we can talk about it and we should be talking about it more. So I, I'll just share a little, a little anecdote. When I first joined Microsoft, I was very quickly trying to figure out, like, where is the women's group? That's where I'll feel most comfortable. And I was put in touch with this woman who at the time was a very senior executive. And she instilled in me this really great life lesson, which is like, sure, go join your women's group. See what is going to serve you there. But also, like, keep in mind that we need to bring everyone along for in pursuit of this mission of of greater equality in the work place. And that was sort of the first time, you know, seven years ago when I joined the company that I really understood what male allyship even meant. I thought like, oh, this quest for gender equity in the workplace is a woman's job. But I quickly saw that when men in leadership positions were supporting those causes or lending their privilege or listening to what women in those groups had to say, that much more could be done in that pursuit of equality. We have specifically highlighted men on this show who are not just claiming the title of male ally, but are doing the work. (laughs) Jonathan Spasato is someone who we highlighted uh, really early on 
and he's authored this book called Better Together. It's all about ways that you can execute strategies in the workplace, essentially creating the Equal Rights Amendment within your place of work, and has really concrete strategies that he has built into the work environments that he's managed. And he's also taken the stance as an investor in companies to only invest in companies that are founded or co-founded by women. This is not just a moral stance that he's taken. The statistics show that these companies are performing at a higher rate or producing more profits for their shareholders. So this is a a financial decision in addition to something that he feels is, you know, an ethical responsibility. Yeah. um, And to that point, I think there was there would be three key moments, I think, that have really hit and why I really have been fortunate enough to be involved with the podcast, but also why I believe in it. One was about another previous uh, interview we we had. Scott Hanselman was the first male ally we had on the show. And just a couple of tactical things that he was saying, like he won't speak on all male panels because he's an engineer and he recognizes like, yeah, that might be the case, but like, I don't want to be just only on an all-white male panel. Or, hey, maybe you have all females, but if they're all of the same race, he's like, it doesn't necessarily need to be, like, the United Colors of Benetton, but it needs to have, like, intellectual, uh, like, just a different diversity on different spectrums. And he was, like, uh, the one to where we first learned that lending your privilege and understanding that he as a white male had this kind of different... He just articulated very well about lending his privilege and that you don't just have to be a male ally, but you almost need to be a male accomplice, like willing to put your name and yourself on the line and get involved. And then the two other instances and why I think this podcast and just like this conversations getting started is when my own boyfriend and my roommate and my father were all kind of just like, whoa, I didn't know this is different issues that you have to deal with. Like when when news started popping up about either, either sexual harassment or anything else around in the workplace, they're like, you don't have to deal with that, right? And when I was like, no, this is actually pretty commonplace. Like, this is something my dad, like, didn't he completely was dumbfounded thinking that any of those scenarios or how a woman has to be careful when she goes for a run at night or anything like that. It just it didn't occur to him. So hitting generationally these topics with my father and then even my own boyfriend, he's like, how can I be a better male ally? And getting that question just means that we're doing the right thing and that this is on top of their mind and that they're just learning a little bit more. And so um, if we can scale that out even more so and give tactics and strategies and then on top of that kind of just make the conversation more top of mind, that would be a total win. Yeah. And that conversation about like, you know, moving male allyship from this title to something you're actually taking action on on a daily basis really comes down to something you mentioned, Sonia, lending your privilege that phrase starts with understanding like your sphere of influence and whether your influence is the opportunity to connect an underrepresented person with a job opportunity or connect that person with someone in your network or provide money to a nonprofit organization doing work in the sphere of workplace equity. Those are all ways that you can exercise or extend your privilege. Exactly. Yes, I agree. And I again highlight that I really like the fact that in the podcast you try to give actionable advice that people can start implementing on their own. 
Yeah, we have a little segment when we're closing out our show. We assign missions. And one of my favorite missions has been this bingo card, this like male ally bingo card. And it has these little actions that you can take while at a conference, whether it's making sure you're listening to a woman who's speaking or, you know, clapping for people regardless of their gender or race. These things that feel like they should be table stakes, but just remember reminders of how you can exercise even a little bit of privilege in your day-to-day life. I think it's called Manbassador Bingo. Yeah, Manbassador Bingo. That's it. That's great. I want to switch gears a little bit before we finish. And I wanted to talk with you, Colleen, about the Dale Carnegie seminar on effective communication that you just completed. Can you talk a bit about what this training consists of? Sure. So I just wrapped up this training called Strictly Business. It's the Dale Carnegie Immersion Seminar on Effective Communications and Human Relations. And it's based on Dale Carnegie's two top-selling books, the first of which is How to Win Friends and Influence People, which I had always like sort of heard of as this iconic book, but I had never taken the time to read it before. And then the other book is How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. In either of these books, Dale Carnegie has sort of outlined these life rules, like rules for winning friends and influencing people, rules for quelling all of the worry in your life. And we as a cohort went through each of these rules as defined by Dale Carnegie and figured out ways that we were going to put them into action in our lives. So I decided to enroll in a cohort of other Microsoft women and did a ton of presenting over this three-week course. It was three weeks long, Mondays for eight hours each of those days, and we were constantly challenged to figure out, you know, how are we going to live these life principles? A few of them that I remember are um, don't criticize, condemn, or complain, become genuinely interested in people, live in daytight compartments. These things that feel like they're, you know, They should be the way you're living already, but you just need a little reminder in order to break out of the day-to-day that you can be living more strategically in ways that are engaging the people around you and, you know, quelling or, or getting rid of some of that stress in your life. So we spent a lot of time looking at each of these life principles and figuring out how can we create more of this authenticity and excitement in the workplace and how can we cultivate more confidence and less stress and worry in our lives. How do you make sure you're not forgetting about these things on a day-to-day basis? <laughs> string around your finger. Yeah. <laughs> There are so many of these principles. You'd have so many strings. Yeah. Well, to be honest, the process of like really sitting down and assessing them and doing short presentations about them was fantastic. And I think like a good memory sticking exercise for me. But I also really love audio and downloaded the audio books, both How to Win Friends and Influence People and How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And they're nice little refreshers when you're walking between meetings at work or yeah you just need a a little reminder about these you know life should be lived in airtight compartments there's a great little story in that book about how to make it happen when you were coming into the seminar and throughout your time here 
Was there anything that surprised you about yourself that you found out about this? Yeah. So there was this really interesting moment in the seminar because so much of it was about presenting. And I'm a fairly confident presenter. When the moderator or the coach of the session, she, in front of everyone else, sort of asked me, like, what are you really hoping to get out of this training session? And I explained to her that I can give a presentation really confidently right now. I'm a fairly confident storyteller. I have a lot of answers to your questions. What I would love to get out of this is showing up more authentically and more vulnerably. And like the entire room shifted because up until that point, I had been the person who was like doing great presentations and like making people laugh. And in that moment, everyone realized like, oh, this is like that was kind of a show. What she's actually trying to do is get more authentic. And that's how we can support her over this three week long course is like give her the space to be vulnerable instead of just like cheering her on for giving great presentations. So that was the major shift for me. And yeah, it also made me realize like these Dale Carnegie courses aren't just about like, you know, hamming it up with your colleagues and figuring out how to rub elbows more effectively. They're about being happier in the life that you're living and bringing your whole self to work. And yeah, that was a really important moment for me. Yeah. And I also think it can be about getting to know yourself more. Maybe once you hear these things, you could be like, Actually, I tend to complain a lot and blame things on people. So then you realize the patterns that you're doing and how they might not be the best way to live. Yeah, it's very much a time for introspection. Like you're not working on your email while you're planning the next presentation that you're going to give in this course. You really need to be invested and that time away from work to focus on that personal development was really valuable for me. Sonia, in addition to being at school and later having a full-time job, and during this time, you were also a professional model. So I'm really curious to hear about what this experience was like. Yeah, sure. So it's hard to tell on a podcast, but I'm very tall. I'm about six feet tall. When I was in middle school, I tried my hand at volleyball and immediately hated the idea of throwing myself on the floor to try to catch a ball. And I also tried basketball for three years in middle school. I played on the team and I didn't score once, like not even once. I was awful. <laughs> like literally didn't score once. So I was like, wow, okay, I'm not really putting my height to use at all. But I had a couple of people like totally the in the mall, or have you ever modeled? Like all that stuff. And so my parents were very skeptical, as was I. But obviously, I, as of, I think I was 14 at the time, I was like, this could be cool. Why not? So through an agreement with my parents, I attended this competition where I ended up getting signed to elite model management in New York and Atlanta. The agreement with my parents is I had to maintain my A's in class and I couldn't be slacking on my other extracurricular. So I kind of had this part-time job I was doing in Atlanta and then I would spend the summers in New York. And it was at a time when there weren't too many Indian models. So it was actually a pretty interesting slash pretty difficult period. But I modeled for about nine years, um, ended up switching to IMG model management, 
kind of had a couple of agents around uh, the globe, traveled quite a bit, took off a year actually while I was at Harvard, took off a full year to model professionally. And it was definitely something that helped pay for like textbooks, literally. Like that's why I was doing it is to earn money. But it was also just a really interesting experience because I was at that turning of the tide where people were starting to be a little bit more accepting of ethnic models. I was the first South Asian in Sports Illustrated, um, and I think I might still be, which is crazy. So that was a really cool accolade to have and just kind of starting to push people's expectations of who would be in the modeling industry. So that was basically... I did it for about nine years, and once I got to Microsoft, and the Seattle modeling scene's not super robust, but I have an agent here, so once in a while, like I did a Primera ad last year. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, awesome. Like on Mercer Island, which was funny. And Sonia's experience has also, it's like, it has influenced our show in a couple of ways. You know, a lot a lot of the the entrepreneurship in the fashion industry is being influenced and impacted by women right now. So whether it was the um, former FitCode CEO who we hosted on our show or talking about topics of inclusion in the fashion industry, it's really fun to like have Sonia's perspective on those topics and to be able to take a look at how trends have changed over the years. Exactly. And it also gives you this perspective, like you said, even when you were doing this, there was not a lot of diversity in terms of ethnicities, I guess. Ethnicity and also, I would say, size. When I was in Sports Illustrated, I was 19. I was probably the skinniest I ever was. And they still photoshopped me and like shaved off like four inches off my hips. But now... If you look at their covers and you look at who's been in it, Ashley Graham, Kate Upton, all these women who definitely are curvier, like that wouldn't have happened eight years ago. So it's awesome to see some of these more even, I wouldn't call them traditional, but some of these more like they're rooted in kind of their audience and what they thought that they always expected, that they're even pushing it and accepting more diversity and, and a lot of multiple scales, not just ethnicity. Definitely. And what are some of the other ways in which you grew through this experience of professional modeling? Yeah, I mean, I was basically working and starting to pay taxes at the age of 14. <laughs> and like, I'll be the first to admit, I did not have that typical like working a fast food restaurant or any of those kind of like learning to be a waitress or any of those that I think would also teach you a lot of grit and <laughs> something I should have should have done. But I definitely had like a bougie internship, I guess you could call it. But it, it taught me a lot to develop uh, probably first would be a thick skin because I was at that time when there were so few women who look like me, I remember going into castings, it would be like 20 blonde women and they would just come up to me and be like, oh, you can leave, don't worry. And like straight up telling me like, you're not gonna get picked so you might as well leave. So at a young age, developing a thick skin, just uh, it's a very fast paced industry, very cutthroat, but just also you take your successes and you keep working on it. Lots of networking. So I learned how to network at a very young age and to just deal with different types of New Yorkers and just Europeans in general <laughs> among the industry. So that was something I got to learn is being from Atlanta, especially you didn't have that type of um, fast paced work down there. Um, so that was something I, I definitely kind of honed in on, learned networking, kind of took that to college. And then obviously now in the tech world, that's so much of what we're doing now is whenever you have a break or you hear of an event or whatever, you're networking, you're constantly kind of in touch. Um, and so those are just a couple of things. Fortunately, I don't have to have a, a thick of a skin over here. <laughs> so that's been that's been a nice 
Well, Colleen and Sonia, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Yeah, this was a blast. Thank you so much. I love the (laughs) cross-pollination. Yes, definitely. And just very quick, if listeners are interested in checking out the podcast, where can they find it? Yeah, you can find links to our shows on multiple podcast platforms, likely your app of choice, at wibt.com. And maybe you're already in your favorite podcasting app. Just type in Women in Business and Technology, and that's where you can find our show. Awesome. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.